Unlike math teachers, most effectively collect learning evidence during this pandemic. Today, we have a satellite roundtable with five incredible math teachers. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are teaching tomorrow. In light of this old pandemic that we're rounding one year of teaching through, Justin Medved gathered an array of powerful, thoughtful, and brave math teachers to discuss how they are collecting evidence and observations. Because as we know, virtual testing is not quite a reliable measurement of what students know or understand. Teachers are needing to rethink, reimagine, and even relinquish their ideas of what math should look like in light of this new paradigm of teaching. In this conversation, you will hear from Justin Medved, Director of Learning, Innovation, and Technology at the York School, Jennifer Gravel, Senior School Math Teacher at Holy Trinity School, Holly Jepson, Middle and Senior School Math Teacher at the Country Day School, Esther Lee, Middle School Math Teacher at Crestwood School, Fabio Biagiarelli, Middle Years Program Coordinator at the York School, Michael Moore, Middle and Senior School Math Teacher at Hillfield Strathallen College, and Robin Johansson, Math Department Chair and Senior School Math Teacher at the York School. Whew, I feel like I just introduced a big sports lineup or something. This is amazing, all these people together in this conversation. And all these educators have such important insights and strategies to share about how to make math learning fair, equitable, and best support student growth during this time. So let's get right to it. Well, welcome everyone to the Teaching Tomorrow podcast and one of our satellite conversations. I'm really excited tonight to bring together math teachers from across the US Ontario and some curriculum lenses. And tonight we're gonna to tackle the, the, the idea of evidence collection in the math classroom, specifically middle and, and kind of early senior school. As we move into an extended school uh, school closure, and we all know report cards are looming, it's having us to confront uh, the fact that we are going to have to collect evidence differently, um, given that our, our our traditional test math tests just aren't as um, easy to um, replicate or pull off anymore. And so, some of the ways in which observation and conversation data had been something we'd been trying to collect recently and been looking at broadening our senses and or our perspectives around evidence collection. Now we're having to really dive into those areas and um, and really look at what we might be able to do differently to, to tackle this challenge together. So um, let's just hear from the room who's here and uh, get a sense of the schools that are uh, uh, that are here today, the names of the people and the math teachers that sit behind them. And um, we'll open it up to what I think will be a really ex uh, exciting conversation. So thank you, Mike Moore um, from Hillfield for uh, coordinating tonight and getting us going. Over to you, Mike. Yeah, thank you very much. And thanks for everyone to take uh, take the time to, to come. It's uh late on a Thursday after a, a very busy week. So uh, much appreciated. And uh, I'm hoping to, to learn um, even more than I uh, hopefully can provide. So you just- And Mike, for... if you could tell, uh, if you could just uh, say what school you're from and the grades you teach. Absolutely. Uh, so my name is Mike Moore. I teach at Hillfield Strathallen College in Hamilton. Uh, this year I'm teaching grade 10 math and calculus, but it varies from year to year, basically just seeing anything in the senior math. Great. 
Over to you, Fabio. My name is Fabio Bucciarelli. I work at the York School in Toronto. I'm the MYP coordinator and uh, a music teacher. So I'm here to, to probably learn a whole lot more than what I can contribute, but um, I'm looking at this through the lens of trying to help, trying to help uh, the staff at our school just come up with different ways of gathering summative data um, in our math courses. Hi, my name is Esther Lee. I'm a math teacher, teacher in the high school level at Crestwood Preparatory College. And I just wanna thank Mike and Justin and Fabio for coordinating and organizing this great little satellite side podcast. I'm excited for what we'll all learn tonight. Hi, I'm Robin Johansson. Uh, I teach grade eight, nine and 11 math this year. And I'm the uh, math chair at the York School. Hi, I'm Jen Gravel. Um, I'm at Holy Trinity School in Richmond Hill. I'm a senior school math teacher, and this year I'm teaching grade 10 and one section of each of the grade 12 courses. So uh, we've tried a few things um, at HTS this year in terms of assessment. So looking forward to sharing some of those um, experiences that we've had, but also excited to learn um, other ways that we can kind of extend what we're doing and try new things. Fantastic. And as we know, as co colleagues, we know what each other are doing. So feel free to brag about your colleagues and uh, other experiments that you're running uh, on their behalf, because we all kind of sit in larger departments and uh, there's lots to kind of, uh, lots of anecdotes to share. So the guiding question tonight is, is it possible to move beyond traditional tests to collect summative evidence of learning in the math classroom? Um, what are our thoughts here and, 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 and um, that idea of valuing that data um, at, at the same level that we that we did um, with the test for in, in, a, in possibly a new way. Why don't we start, start with you, Jen, at the bottom and we'll work our way up here. Um, we have found that, yes, uh, we think we have some ways of assessing that kind of move beyond the written paper test. Um, speaking of for myself, I do think in math, there are still some skills that I need to see you actually do. So um, we've kind of used the word skills test instead of just a regular test. So there are certain things that we do ask students, certain questions to show us that they've got certain skills on paper. But beyond that, what we've done is we've started asking them to make a video. So um, this kind of all stemmed from, starting from September, we had students that um, we had the hybrid model where we had some kids in the building and some kids at home and our cohorts switched. And on the days that we wanted to give these skill tests, we would only, we were thinking of giving them to the students in the building. And this all kind of spurred with, well, what do the students at home do? Um, this idea, we, we tried to think of asynchronously, do they work ahead on something? Um, but we wanted to make sure that we had um, some kind of I'll, I'll use the word fairness that the people at home didn't necessarily get more time to study for the test. So we wanted to figure out what could they be doing at home that we could use as a summative um, at the same time that those were in the building writing their test and then they'd switch for the next time they were um, the next class where our cohort switched. So what we did is we had to think a lot about, well, what kind of questions do I not necessarily need to see them do on paper? So our videos ended up being a lot more of those explanations. 
Um, we were able to personalize them. So I'll talk about grade 10. Our first unit was on linear systems. And the part that they did at home was each student was given a word problem with a, a solution and asked to talk about what errors were made. So identify those. So um, they were able to show me their information, their knowledge and do it at home. So not necessarily right in front of me. And then my uh, collection was that video that they created. So that was, that's been something that we've used in grade 10 and in grade 12 um, and have had some success. And it's, it's been really eye-opening as a teacher to hear what the students say or have to say. And it, it has made me see their thinking a little bit better than giving them a one thinking question on a test. So that was kind of what we have done um, in that. So I don't know if I've answered everything, but um, that's kind of what we have experienced. On, on the technical side of things, is that a, a distribution that happens all at once and a little bit of a time um, aspect to that? Or is it kind of a bit open-ended and the idea being it's going to be authentic given their, um, you're going to see their, their thinking come through the video and you'll be able to gauge whether or not they truly understand what they're talking about. Do you, is there some, can you talk a little bit about the parameters around how you kind of pull it off practically? Yeah, so we use Google Classrooms. So on the day of the assessment, um, if you were in the building, then you would get kind of the paper version in front of you on your desk. Um, but if you were at home doing the video part, I would assign an assignment in Google Classroom um, and you'd have that one hour mm. that um, to complete that task. So everybody would be completing it at the same time. And um, and they would they would be given the question at the beginning, um, given the hour to come up with their ideas, film it, and then upload their video to Google Classroom. The students did know what type of questions they were going to be given. So um, for the grade 10 unit, we told them, we will give you a solution with errors and you will have to um, analyze it and talk about it but they didn't know exactly which question. So that was kind of what we left as the new part on the day of the assessment, but they had a good framework. They knew it was gonna be an hour. They knew it was gonna be released at the beginning and they'd have till the end of the hour um, to complete it. Uh, yeah, that's really interesting. And this notion of the test is happening differently in two different locations for different reasons with different types of assessments, right? Um, really interesting, very cool. Um, Robin, what are some of the some of the things you've uh, tried or things that you've thought of? Uh, I think one of the things we're doing this year is is try to think of what are our opportunities for a project, um, and where can we build some mathematical writing skills or some reasoning um, in our in our tasks. So when could a test be actually a project or some sort of investigation and an opportunity to give students a little bit more choice? But I completely agree with Jen. There's sometimes where you want to see those skills. So currently doing like an algebra unit and one of the things that we're going to do is, is similar to Jen, give them work that has errors in it and they sort of have to correct, uh, find and explain some of these common mistakes that students are doing. Um, yeah, we can use a lot of videos or have students make like Khan Academy style explainer videos to show their understanding of a concept. Robin, do you have an example of one of the areas in which you felt translated nicely to kind of project-based math where you saw the outcomes or skills that you needed, you, you could give them, you could give over what, what is done in a test to a project? Yeah, 
Um, we did, uh, this one's from the spring, but uh, a design your own probability game all throughout the unit we had been doing, giving them games to play and then asking them to create a Flipgeared video about whether or not they thought it was fair, like how they thought about the probabilities in that game. And then their final project was to create their own game and then to explain the probabilities. And we spent some time as a class, like playing each other's games. And that turned into a project that was assessed. Very cool. How about you, Holly? What are some of your thoughts? I, I'm, I'm loving hearing the ideas that Robin and Jen were sharing. Um, I think my, my approach this year has been, um, I guess, I've continued along with more traditional tests. And um, one of the reasons I'm here tonight is to learn some more ideas. But one of the ways that I've changed the traditional test is to um, have some more thinking problems on it. So uh, instead of having like, here are your, your skill questions, and then here's your word problem at the end, maybe a couple skill questions at the beginning, because um, I totally agree with, with what's being said about there are skills that I think we just need to see the kids be able to do, um, and then give them some more open-ended questions. Um, and uh, yeah, so some of the things that we've done are um, I love like the open middle problems um, where there are like just blanks. So giving an equation of a line and saying, and having the kids fill in uh, the slope or the y-intercept, um, those type of problems have been really, really great. So still doing, I guess, a, a traditional test in the sense that like we've got an hour to do these many questions and then it's handed in. Um, but the tests just look a little bit different because um, We've got kids that are both in school and online, obviously all online right now, but, um, but recognizing that like, how do we write a test that is feasibly done online and some of the challenges that that brings up. So that, that's been our approach uh, so far this year. Have you done any uh, like remote tests? Yeah, yeah, I have students that write, um, like there are some students in our building that have been remote all year. And so they have been doing these tests remote. Um, and, uh, and then with, uh, with some of the shutdowns, I, I know different as um, our school has had to shut down for a couple of days here and there with, um, with positive tests or and now that we're in this um, province wide shutdown, there have been we had had have had to run tests online. Um, and so just planning for those tests with more open-ended problems um, has been actually pretty helpful in the fact that like when kids are at home, um, you know, we also have in grade 10 in particular, we've taken the approach that why not just let the kids use um, for these thinking problems, let them use their resources. So taking away that the possibility of cheating because we'll just let them use their their notes anyway, uh, but we'll make it so that the problem really makes taps into their thinking skills. So if they know the concept, they can and they can have the support of their resources, uh, which they really enjoyed having. But they really do need to know the problem on a deeper level to be able to answer some of those open-ended problems. And how are they delivering that evidence back to you? What formats it taking? It would just be pencil and paper, and then they're snapping. A picture of it and uploading it on Google Classroom for me. Got it. Okay, so th this is really interesting. So you're, you're kind of giving over some elements of the control. So this is the other side of, of this piece, which is when 
in two directions we can take this kind of innovative discussion, which is one, rethinking and reimagining, and two, relinquishing, uh, which is a totally different strategy where you've kind of unpacked that a bit, where you're saying, I'm going to create some type of open-ended, complicated problem, and I'm really and really interested to see what you come up with, but in the amount of time I'm giving you, is that, is, would that be one of the constraints that's offered? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you'd really have to be like a lot of executive functioning skills in play if you really wanted to tap into all of your communities and networks and things to like, you know, answer this, or you could take a stab at it yourself. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. Esther, I mean, know that you're, you know, on Matley, but I know you've given this a lot of thought and you're certainly tapped in with a lot of different teachers. What are some of your thoughts on reimagining? Yes, that was going to be my disclaimer. I'm not in the classroom this year. But I did experience this hybrid learning scenario, well, actually virtual learning scenario in the second term of last year. Um, and I've spoken to the interim head this year to sort of gauge how the teachers in the math department at Crestwood are doing things. I think I echo a lot of the ideas that have already been presented. This, the, you know, the ideas that if you are still going the traditional testing route, it's really important now to place a greater emphasis on some of the communication, more open-ended thinking problems, which is kind of funny because this is sort of the way we should be going anyways, I think. But um, it's, it's interesting that this is kind of, you know, forcing people to sort of pivot in that direction. So I 100% agree there. Um, and specifically at Crestwood, I know that teachers have been talking a lot about some of those open-ended questions, including identifying errors now, because it can be very easy to take a picture of a problem. And there are apps now online that will then feed you back the exact solution with all of the steps, not just the final answer. And so that question of legitimacy is really important right now too, I think. So those communication questions where you're really expected to fully explain yourself, either in a video or written format, whatever it is. And those questions where you identify errors as opposed to just finding a solution to a problem are also to are also is also another great avenue to non-traditional testing questions. Um, I think the general sense is that there isn't a lot of bandwidth for people to do things drastically differently. So I think I think that lots of teachers have wonderful ideas on what to do right now, but haven't necessarily put them all into play. Something that I did last year to try and randomized questions in a way um, similar to what was already suggested in the math assessment doc uh, with the, I think the mail merging idea. Um, I just, I would create several versions of a question in a Google, in a Google form, which I turned into a quiz. And I would randomize the order of the questions and I'd have students just do the first question in each section, but in such a way that I felt like I was testing them on enough knowledge to include that as part of my summative assessment. And if students, and this was done online during the class time. So students were expected to have their cameras on. They were also expected to be unmuted. If they were muted, I would go ahead and unmute them. Sometimes I'd catch kids having little side conversations, but it's unavoidable. And you expect that it's going to be open book. So all of those things are considered in advance. Now, if students didn't do as well as they wanted, that was okay. I gave them then an additional opportunity later 
to demonstrate an improved understanding of the concept, which could actually increase their mark on that assessment. And during this time, the question of what really is a mark right now kind of also comes up. So it didn't seem like much of a problem to me if a student was willing to set up an appointment with me during extra help and say, okay, I, I clearly didn't understand this concept as well as I thought I did. Let's spend a few minutes. Here are the things that I would like to review with you. Great, let's review it. And then I give them a very similar or maybe not so similar scenario, depending on the proficiency they have demonstrated to me. And they're able to demonstrate some improved understandings. And I say, great, you know, student X, I, I think you are now at this level three as opposed to level two. And that's what we're gonna change your mark to. So that's one strategy I employed last year. And I'm also a big believer in the project-based learning and using projects in place of traditional assessments uh, as summative as summative assessments. And I think Robin, you spoke to that pretty well. So I'll leave it at that. But um, one additional unit that I think that would uh, lend itself very nicely to in the grade seven and eight level would be uh, you know, data collection and graphs. It'd be so, I think it, it would be very natural to create a project-based learning experience for students in those units. Um, maybe a nine and 10 rates of change, like linear rates of change. I think you can find lots of real life scenarios that you could, again, collect data on and then sort of um, model using, you know, Y equals MX plus B sort of algebraic model, graph it, and then, you know, create a whole story surrounding that, so. If only there was like a large, you know, global event that like, you know, was where the data was changing frequently that mm -hmm. we could track and that like seemed to be authentically relevant to everyone. Maybe one day we'll get one of those and apply it to the math classroom. Uh, I love the notion of um, finding mistakes and not finding the answer. like this idea of looking for the errors, you know, just there's some really cool things that have come out. You've all mentioned it in some different way, but we're now, we're, it's an investigation of sorts where you're, you're trying to decode or reverse engineer all of these, these are all skills, right? As opposed to just um, approach the problem, the solution through the formulaic, you know, you know, approaches of uh, that you've been taught, so to speak. Um, Mike, tell us what your thoughts are on having, you know, not only tackled observations and conversations, but it also applied a lot of different uh, approaches and also having a good sense of what's going on at Hillfield. So uh, I echo basically everything that's been said. I, uh, I, a lot like Holly, right now, just sort of going with what I really, really know and have, I, I learned a, a lot in the spring, as I'm sure a lot of others did, and a lot of trial and error with different tools and different techniques, and some things went well and some things didn't. So that was nice to have starting in September. Um, just like a, a few others, we have some students who were full-time face-to-face and some that are full-time at home. So you're trying to satisfy right both equally, right? trying to give, give everyone... Um, the same level of, of education and, and assess them in equal ways as well. So all that work from the spring was, was very helpful. Uh, one tool that I fell in love with was Delta Math. Um, and so this has been a, just a game changer for me in terms of um, 
just observing there, and, and, and a lot has been said about the skills. Um, and this is a great website for that skills tracking. Um, give these assignments where um, the, the thing I like it, there's many reasons I like it. Um, one is if you compare it to a Khan Academy, Khan Academy, if you, if it says one plus one and you accidentally push the button three and hit enter, it's wrong and it's wrong forever. Whereas this system, it'll say, sorry, that's incorrect. Please check your work. You have one more attempt at this one plus one question and you get a second. So they can sort of look back and in talking to students, they really appreciated that and, and embedded in every question is a help video. And if they were to, to get it wrong, they're then shown the full solution as to what they should have done instead. And it's, it's unlimited tries. I can assign five, but they could go do 500 if they want. They're not limited in that sense where it keeps randomly generating. And so that is a great um, assessment as learning. They're, they're using this for as and for their own learning as they go through. And then at different various checkpoints, they also have a test feature which will then turn off that multiple chances and turn off the videos. And so now they're gonna be getting very similar questions to what they've already practiced. And then they're gonna be able to demonstrate and I can see that as, a, as, a, as evidence of their learning and, and where they are and where they need to improve specifically on those skills things. So it, it doesn't lend itself to the, the open-ended. Um, it does target that and I've, I've really, really uh, liked that as a teacher and the feedback from my students is they've they've liked it uh, as well. Mike, are you honoring are you honoring some of that data as evidence uh, and kind of in your broader professional judgment bringing the, that the forward? first first time no. The first time they're they're just playing in the sandbox. Go ahead and get as many wrong as you want to. Um, so that's there's no um, nothing that's going to sort of count in that sense. But then when we do have those, the, the, the system calls them tests. So, you know what I mean? But those, um, now when I'm trying to gain that other evidence, they know before they've started, this is counting as a, as a assessment of observation that I'm, so they're, they're well aware before they take it. Um, so there was a bit of anxiety, uh, like in September, right? This, this unknown, but then they quickly got over that where they just know, okay, we kind of, we do these all the time. This is just a quick check-in. It's a data point. It's, it's just evidence and I'm going to have more reoccurring chances as we go through. So, so yes, but not on that first go round. I don't forget who made mention. I think it was Esther, the, the personalized assignment. So I put in there in the doc for people on the call here, I made a little uh, tutorial video there for my own staff. So if you have time to we don't a lot of us don't have the bandwidth but if it, it's a quick video to show you sort of how to set up a mail merge between excel and word and what it can do is personalize uh these different assignments so um i have like that in terms of giving these big open-ended um questions so uh for instance i did one that's redesigning a smarties box to be um the current volume that a smarties box has minimize your surface area but i gave everyone a different rectangle ratio so then that that was able to be done very easily with excel so they all had their own rec ratio and then my excel spreadsheet 
had the answers. So everyone kind of had their, everyone's working on the same thing that's at a, at a, a thinking level, but you're avoiding that, that cheating somewhat where everyone's got their own numbers and their own unique solution. And there's, there's decimals everywhere. And so, um, was that something you front loaded just to kind of be transparent to say, Hey guys, like everyone's getting a different copy. So, you know, you can spend time or did you just leave that to be figured out? Uh, that wasn't time you spent. This is something I've used for years, actually. Um, oh, okay. Call, former colleague of mine who's now retired um, showed me how, so I've, I've been using these for years. So it's actually just carried on nicely in this sort of online environment. Um, but no, it's, it's there. They know, they know ahead of time. They're like, their name is printed on the top um, as it's the, the, the Excel spreadsheet kind of fills in each name separate. Um, so they know. When thinking about this, I, I imagine there's a massive business, business opportunity out there, right? For like unique test, personalized testing platforms where everyone's writing a personalized and has a personalized answer key. We should. Yeah. We should talk after this, Justin. <laughs> Keep going. This is great. Uh, the another one that I I really um, fell in love with, and I, I think uh, I've talked to, I, I got the idea from one of the math teachers on this call. To be honest, is the the Desmos polygraph activities. So if you've ever played the old game Guess Who, where someone has the answer and you're peppering them with yes no questions to eliminate certain answers and get it down to one. Um, so these are fantastic and they really lend themselves to conversation evidence because as a teacher, your, your big brother in terms of seeing the questions that were being asked. So student A is asking, uh, is the vertex of the parabola in quadrant one? And the answer is, the answer was yes. So they were able to eliminate a bunch of parabolas that were on their screen and then they have to is is the problem opening down so now you can see are they using the correct uh terminology are they using the right language how many questions is it taking them you know are they taking 10 questions or are they really thinking critically and can they sort of get it down to getting the correct answer on an average of three or four questions um and from the other side as well and i didn't realize this till i started um using this a little more is the student who has the answer understanding whether to say yes or no. I took that for granted when I first started using these, but with, so that someone says, you know, is the vertex in quadrant one? The student has, the, the student who was just asked has to click yes or no now. So they need to know what is a vertex. They need to know what quadrant one is. They, so there's, there's knowledge there too. So you're actually not just looking at the person questioning, but also the person answering. So that was, that's been, really great evidence. But again, like I was uh, similar with the Delta math, the, the sort of the first time is we're just playing now. We're, we're, we're playing, we're getting used to this, we're, we're learning something that's brand new. And then if I was gonna be using it as an assessment type thing, I, they're told up front then. So I'm saying, you know, I'm gonna look at your questions. I wanna see how many questions, I wanna see your answers. I wanna see you using proper terminology. Um, so they know ahead of time. Is that, a, is that a, some, uh, something you're recording? The, the Desmos records it for you. The, it's, oh, all, it's, okay. all, it's all saved in, it's all saved in real time in the teacher.desmos um, login. It goes all the way down. Like they have one for telling time. 
you can go all the way down to like junior school and then you can go all the way up to you know grade 12 advanced functions and sort of everything in between I wanted to add I've, I've taken it sort of a step further and I love the idea of like optimization because I think it gets at some of those like deeper thinking skills in math and I've actually showed them the the 16 options on the polygraph and I've said as the assignment, like come up with your flowchart. What is your flowchart to ask? Like what questions do you ask? Which ones will it eliminate? Like what's the most efficiently you can get to the exact graph that has been identified? Um, and it's really interesting to see students kind of think of, well, okay, well, if I ask about the stretch first, that's not as good as I if I ask if A is positive or negative, like that's a better question to ask first. Um, so it's been really, uh, I've really liked that and they can sort of collaborate on it and still come to their own conclusion about what it should be. So give it a try, let me know how it goes. <laughs> I love that. And that's, that's the piece I know I'm missing is I still find myself being a slave to the, we gotta move on, we gotta get to the next thing, we gotta get to the next thing. So what you're talking about is like having a feedback loop and trying it again and whatever. And that's, I, I love that idea. I need to slow down and take the time to do it. Yeah, I think, I think there's so much at play here. Like, I think we all can recognize that this is a perfect time to go deeper and, and really like dive into things um, to get a better sense of their understanding. But we're also like, I'm finding my curriculum is slowed down a lot. I'm not getting through as much in in-person classes or online classes. Um, I'm having to like repeat a lot when this next cohort comes in <laughs> uh, from what they did the other day. So there's this tension of, well, it's already a slower year, but if I do, deeper, richer assessments, that'll take time, but it'll be more valuable. Um, I completely hear you, Mike, it's such a tug of war. What are your thoughts on um, this notion of giving over some of your collection to platforms? Mike, you mentioned this um, um, platform, Delta Math, and I know many of our schools have used platforms, whether it's IXL or whether um, there's a number of them. and so. How, you know, in the way that I think you, you articulate something really interesting, Mike, where you said we, I'm building in capacity there, through the habits I established and the norms I established, we take the anxiety down and they understand that this is a snapshot to help them, but it's still evidence, right? And you want to consider it. And I, I like the scaffolding that this platform provides you different, sounds different from IXL, which is, tends to be more practice, you know, mastery type stuff. So... What, do you, what are your thoughts, you know, open uh, to the floor here on, are, are you taking that evidence? Are you honoring it? Are you, is he incorporating it? Like philosophy around using it in your professional judgment to stand behind, you know, that conversation in the parent-teacher interview coming in February to say, actually, holistically, here's what I'm seeing. Because we know that you're getting data there around just straight up accountability. I'm assigning it for homework. They're doing it or they're not doing it, right? Like that tells you a lot often a strong correlation to how well they're doing, you know, outside of those who are just getting math. Thoughts on, on that? Platforms that we're using that we're finding are, are, are good additions? I will also like sing the Delta math praises. I use that. I use it with my kids and I love it. And I love that it gives so many opportunities for, for practice. And, and I, I think that you bring up a really good point about like um, in this, this is this, you, it's such a unique experience to be teaching online and, and to feel like our careers have just been thrown this huge curveball. And I think more than ever, we need to fall back on that professional judgment. 
um, to use everything into uh, and how you do that, I have no idea and I'm not the expert mm -hmm. on it, but I, I find like I've got a pretty good gut instinct about what the kids mark should be based on all the things that I've seen. Um, and a lot of time, um, what I see is that in some sort of formal assessment were um, the, how my, that gut feeling of what that mark should be often is pretty accurate to the final assessment. Um, and I guess when that's not happening, one of the things that I've been doing, um, especially when a test has had to be administered online for one reason or another, is just like following up with a conversation or with a with an kind of a, a test audit, one of my colleagues calls it, and um, and following up with the kid and saying, okay, like, can you explain to me, like, I I I didn't see you do this question, but can you explain to me your process? And if they, if they really knew it, um, then the thought is that they should be able to explain what they did, even if they need a couple of minutes just to refresh their, their memory, it shouldn't be leaving, it shouldn't be leaving so quickly. Um, and that has been, um, and so that helps to kind of balance the scales out being like, well, I thought you should be at this level, your test is either showing your, your higher or your lower and it goes both cases. But from our follow-up conversation, I see you come back up to the level where I thought you were. So I think that professional judgment and using all of that to holistically evaluate our students is, is so, so important this year. Um, and I think that there's so many other factors at play here too. Like if you think about the role that like anxiety or stress can cause in a testing situation, um, we, uh, I have a feeling that my students are carrying a lot more than they're letting on. And so is that playing a role in some of the, maybe the poor results that they're seeing, but when we sit down and have a conversation there and like maybe a couple nudges here and there and they're off to the races. So I've been really, really trying to be conscientious of that this year. And I think if I can jump in here, um, building on what Robin said around not teaching as much content, but being mindful and a bit more focused on what the key ideas are. And part of that shift has also been um, a little bit less in my experience of me telling and using the time that we're together um, towards maybe more doing. So another platform that we use um, is Jamboard. So um, we have students, I can assign through Google Classroom, a, I can create a Jamboard and assign each and every student a unique version so they have their own and they can't see other people's answers but they're putting down what they know um, or we can have a collaborative one where we do it as a class um, one thing that i've found is i i'm i'm getting a lot more feedback before so i'm getting a lot more evidence before the assessment um, whereas before it may have just been a homework check and seeing what they have on paper. But now because I'm getting more of that evidence in real time during the class, I feel like I'm able to um, potentially reach out um, and provide extra help um, and know my students a little bit more where they're at before the assessment so that they know that they're as best prepared as they can for the um, assessment. So kind of using these tools maybe not as professional judgment after the fact, but the, the pre-assessment um, part, um, getting that evidence beforehand so that 
there isn't necessarily a surprise, but they, they know what they don't know and they know what they need to practice well before the assessment piece. And to dig into that a bit deeper, does that look like uh, every kid's got their own jam? They're working a Jamboard page and you're kind of taking this Overwatch view of just moving between them and just seeing how thinking is unfolding. And then you're, and, and then are you um, having a moment with uh, each student or are you, or are you kind of bringing them all back together and, and talking about patterns? What does that look like in follow-up? Um, it depends. Um, I know a colleague that I work with kind of might has like a, a class jam board and then each student has their own. So they kind of break out and work individually on them. And then at one point they might collect like a really good solution from one student and post it in the class um, jam board. So as a check, so the students can kind of go back and forth. Um, I've used it as everybody's on the same jam board and I'll give you kind of five minutes to think about each question and, and put in your input. And then we come together as a collective and talk and discuss and go further, or I have the chance to um, clear up if there's any misunderstandings that I see. Um, or I've also done it where they all get their individual one. We work on it as part of a review class. Uh, and then later on after class, I'll go into each one and provide feedback that way. So kind of a mixture of different ways of using it. Um, but again, not necessarily as the summative assessment piece, but kind of a tool, we could use it. I, and I, I like what Mike says is that you're kind of giving them um, time in the sandbox and, and, and establishing those expectations. And then eventually I can see us potentially using it as a summative piece, but at now we're just at the formative piece and using it as a great tool to see where they're at and provide them some feedback. I love this notion of the shift in practice that I'm hearing where you're you're watching them work. And in the past, you couldn't have been at each desk simultaneously, but now in some ways you can. So you've started to value that in a different way because it's giving you evidence in this interesting kind of scaled way. Is anyone else playing in that space in different ways, bouncing between students and watching things happen? sounds like we're doing something pretty similar and I've been using the Google so our our school uses the Google apps for education so we're on Google meets and um, I'm loving the addition of breakout rooms uh, because that gives an opportunity to put one of those like I'll throw um, a class jamboard up with and each group gets a thinking problem and group one goes to slide one group two slide two whatever that might be and then just being able to pop in and hear their discussions has been awesome. And I think I, I totally agree with this idea that we're watching the evidence unfold and you can really grasp who's getting it and who's, who's not getting it and who needs more support in those areas and uh, give the extra help in real, in real time. So, and that I think is a really strong, again, like a really strong indicator and kind of comes with that. When we talk about like professional discretion and coming up with our, with grades, um, those are really good pieces of evidence to have. I was, uh, I was going to say, I really like Desmos for that. And the, uh, maybe close to a year ago, they put in the, the feedback feature, um, which I really liked. So in real time, while they're working on it, I can go in and look at what they have and I can give them a little bit of quick feedback in the moment. And then on their student side, 
um, when they see it, they'll, they'll see what slide they're on here, like the slides at the top. All of a sudden, there'll be a green um, little tab in the top sort of yelling at them saying like, hey, your, your teacher has given you feedback on the slide. You should go check it out. And then only when they've read it does, and it's, it's green on my screen too, only when they've read it does the color go away. So then I know that they've actually seen my feedback. They've went in and looked at it. Now they're trying the problem again, and hopefully they can get correct. So it's uh, like you said, uh, it was the first thing that popped in my mind when you said you, you can't be at all simultaneously. Well, when you're in a Desmos activity like this, you can be. You're, you're, you're watching all of them at the same time, and you're giving quick little feedback here or there. And then if the need is there, pull it, pull one on one into a breakout room um, and have the have the deeper discussion and then come back to the main class while you're watching them work. So um, that, was, that was what I thought of and something that I was using earlier this year. I just watched my wife do something very similar with iXL. She has assigned the mastery a few tasks um, and then she's just watching the student grid view of that those few tasks and their names. And so she's watching the scores pop up and then as the, that changes in this kind of work time that she's created, as those scores come in, then she sees those students and need, she needs to kind of engage and intervene with and, and do some targeted kind of remediation in motion. Whereas in the past, you know, if you're, if it was work time, you know, you're at the front and maybe you're doing other things and um, you're, you're waiting till the end to kind of take it up. This kind of forces that. So yeah, all these examples are awesome. Another quick one for Delta Math, if, exactly like you're saying, it, as they're working on maybe one of these uh, assignments in the last half an hour of class, as I'm watching the class page, if everyone's 50% done and I see a couple students that are like 10% done, I, I immediately pull them into a breakout room and say, well, what, what, what's going on? You know what I mean? Are you, are you struggling? Were you, were you like away in the washroom possibly? Like, you know what I mean? Like in this world, like, you know, so it's just this idea of bringing them over and say, Hey, how can I help are you? Are you struggling here? Because, and what I found, um, it was nice. It was really nice in the fall that we were face to face to build those relationships. But with some of my students who were at home, um, you know, as much as I tried, maybe that relationship you know, wasn't quite the same. And so maybe they were a little bit nervous to ask. So when it was me sort of being the person who like preempted it, preempted that and pulled them aside and say, hey, I I've noticed you're, you know, I can see you're struggling a little bit with this. Can I help you in any way? And uh, that was a nice, uh, they appreciated that from, from what I saw. I think that's gonna be, I know for us, we're switching to semester two shortly. And we're going to start online for who knows how long. Um, feel like things like that are going to be definitely key that I need to keep in mind. Uh, at the York School, we did a big low tech investment into uh, whiteboards for every kid, like those hard, more durable ones and markers. Um, and it's been such a help, like both in school and at home. And and so teachers are finding nice, like low low stakes ways to have students participate, like writing their answer and just holding it up to the camera uh, or like going to a slide if they're collaborating in a group, they can quickly say insert image camera and just take like a selfie with their own whiteboard. And then all of a sudden that picture is on the slide um, because I th I'm finding students uh, in terms of like gathering 
observational data for myself or just even them talking to each other. They're like, was that 4x squared? Um, but it's a good way to get them to see each other's thinking really, really quickly. So we've been using a lot of that, just even like putting students in breakout groups, telling them not to go race, and then they come back and then we can share a few students' answers. Um, so I highly recommend them. <laughs> Yeah, it's been amazing watching that have that impact. I know Robin, like, you know, in the in the spring was thinking about this. Those showed up, and like there was a big kind of rollout. And I think it's been it's been awesome. Um, with an eye to time, I kind of wanted to leave an opportunity to uh, just um, end this uh, with uh, with some optimism. Uh, maybe it'd be great to go through just. Um, Anecdotally, what's one thing that's working really well? It, it, whether it was a moment this week, last week, that or uh, something that you tried and it worked, um, something that you saw uh, a colleague do that you think you want to try because you heard, really it's just um, nuggets of either inspiration or uh, optimism that um, the, the listeners can kind of uh, can exit with. Jen, what's working well for you? There's, it, that's an interesting question because I know I've said to a few people when we go back and we're post-pandemic, I can see a few things continuing. Like this idea of using videos for the assessment, I can see continuing on because there is value to hearing the student's voice and not just seeing what they've put on paper. Um, so can that count as opposed to what's going well Immediately? Absolutely. Yeah. These are just like, you've created an insight that's valuable. You're like, wow, I'm going to keep this. Like, this is a keeper. I'm going to incorporate this into my practice. What a great, you wouldn't have tried it normally. You wouldn't have put this much time and effort into it. You wouldn't, why would you, right? You wouldn't, you had no urgency to. And I think what's neat about all of this, it'll be this inventory of like what stays and what remains and what doesn't. And I think all of these kind of sharings are, 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 we never had an urgency to reimagine math. It was working, right? We're pushing the edges of what's possible because we have to, but it's revealing things. And so I think that's the exciting part of this conversation. Mike, what's, what's working? There's a lot of things that are working. I, I think uh, your question about moment, you just, uh, you made me think it was, it was the, actually the last day in December so it was with a face-to-face -face class, um, but we were doing a virtual escape room. So I, I had made an escape room in Google Forms, um, and it was as a, a review of our um, derivatives of trig and exponentials. And I just remember being blown away by their math skills. If like, so like, they were doing the puzzles and they were having fun with the puzzles, but then when they had to get down to the math and get like, so they decoded it. Now they know they need the equation of the tangent to whatever the, they were working in groups, but they, the, they were just pulling product rule out and they were doing, they, they weren't going digging into notes. They weren't going just sort of knew it. And it was like this moment for me of like this, cause the course is wrapping up. We're kind of right at the end of the semester. And it was like me stepping back saying like, okay, they're, Yes, they're enjoying themselves, but more so I just remember thinking like, wow, they, they, they got it. You know what I mean? Like some, at least something I, I gave them um, stuck, it seemed like. So it was, a, it was a really good feeling there. That's a great one. 
Esther, maybe slightly different for you. What excites you or what do you, you know, after obviously enjoy your time off, but uh, what do you want to try? I think what excites me is this concept also of like what stays and what goes. And I think something that I'm really happy to see stay is that shift in thinking from just, you know, what we were talking about, like the skills-based testing to things that were the traditional skills-based testing to something that um, this idea that we can assess ongoing throughout a unit using conversations and this time sort of forcing us to troubleshoot that in really creative, interesting ways. I'm really excited to see that continue um, and to amplify in the following year. Awesome. Holly? Yeah, I think something that has been or that has really excited me or has been going well is just this idea um, through this whole remote learning time and this crazy year, year and a half now, um, has been just like the idea of choice and giving students choice. And um, and I just I love that they have just been really like um, reflecting in on what they need. So it could be even the choice in a lesson. Are you going to stay on our meet to do the lesson synchronously? Or are you going to do the video asynchronously? Like, what do you need today? Um, are you going to do um, like um, assignment? Are you going to do the test? Like, what is your, what's your summative going to look like for this unit? And, and um, I challenge myself to think outside the box and do allow the kids to maybe do uh, a choice of things or multiple things to show their knowledge and and that's something that they've really responded positively to and uh, and I hope to continue uh, after we kind of get back to back to normal and I hope that this is sort of challenging us to create a new normal. Wow what a powerful insight is something you articulated this notion of shifting from teacher directed to student directed and something we've all been kind of chasing for a while. Robin. Uh, I think what I'm hearing and what I'm I'm going to echo is that we're all embracing the flexibility that's required of us and our students and also the like reflectiveness that's required of us as educators in terms of how we're shifting our practice um, and students. I've had so many great students, great conversations with students where they can so eloquently say exactly what they need or where they're at or like what their what their roadblocks are. Um, and I think it's it's oddly building a lot of independence and a lot of self-awareness. Um, and it's just been great to see students um, see the value of connection with their peers and their teachers and, and, and showing up and, and putting their best foot forward every day. It's been really great to see. Awesome. Well, I, part of the impetus behind this conversation was Fabio and I talking about this kind of reimagining. So I invited him and I was like, I'm going to collect some rock star math teachers and bring them all together. And and uh, this is going to provoke him as, as someone who's being charged with coaching and kind of mentoring uh, this idea of learning skills and just a general larger philosophy of teaching and learning. Fabio, some some exit thoughts as you hear some, this isn't your field of expertise, but learning is and uh, some things, some of your thoughts as we kind of close the hour out. I'm just mind blown. I, th I think this is wonderful. This has been a really amazing experience for me to to listen to all of you um i know this is a, a very difficult time and and you know you're hearing a lot of educators saying oh i can't do this oh how can i do this oh boy oh, you know i didn't hear any of that here i just hear you know you're you're all 
thinking outside the box and and coming up with great solutions. And yes, it's going to be a new normal and we're going to be bringing these tools uh, to that. And uh, a lot of what we're doing is this kind of changing. I even heard things that, you know, traditional testing now is from, from a summative nature is moving to maybe a formative nature. Maybe observation conversation, which was formative, now is moving to the forefront and summative. So I wish I had more to add in, in the math umbrella here, but uh, once again, you are all amazing. <laughs> well, thanks everyone. Closing out our first satellite conversation. Uh, thanks for joining us with this Teaching Tomorrow podcast. And um, Mike, over to you to press stop record. Thank you, Justin, for organizing this conversation and to everyone who participated in the roundtable discussion. If you would like more roundtables or have a guest idea for the podcast, reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter and let me know who and what you would like to hear. On Twitter, I'm at teach underscore tomorrow and on Instagram, I'm teaching underscore tomorrow. And your homework assignment is simple. You ready for it? Have you guessed it yet? Just a simple rating and review of the show. It's easy to do in Apple Podcasts. You just go to the library section, find the Teaching Tomorrow icon, and scroll down to see the rating and review spot. I've set the goal to get 100 rating and reviews in 2021, and I'm so very appreciative of how you're letting me know what you like about the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For those of you who've already done this, you've got your level four plus and extra stickers on the top of your homework assignment from me. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Keep rethinking your practice. And remember, we are teaching tomorrow.